Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Hello, and welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So today, we're going to talk about three particular topics. I want to talk first about purpose, that sense of purpose in your life and in your work. I don't want to talk about change. I don't want to talk about influence. Now, those may sound like they're very unrelated topics, but I think by the time we get to the end of the show today, you're going to realize that they're actually far more connected than you thought at first. So the first piece, first segment, is we're going to talk about how to understand your purpose and then make it a reality. And then second, realizing that your purpose means being able to unlock change both in yourself and then in others. How do you do that? And then third, we're going to talk about this, how do you have greater influence? So with me today is Jason Troy. Jason's a top executive coach, a sales leadership trainer, a leading expert on human behavior, influence, and relationship building. And at the heart of all of his work is this understanding that people and relationships are your true wealth. He's worked with well-known CEOs like Steve Jobs, and he's helped clients meet key influencers like Tim Cook and Bill Gates and Richard Branson, among other things. He's also been pretty helpful at helping clients generate sales, as in over a billion dollars over the past three years. Jason's best-selling book, Social Wealth, A Guide to How to Build Personal and Professional Relationships, has sold over 40,000 copies and been a top number one in uh, seller in four categories. And if that isn't enough, he's a featured guest on more than 400 podcast, radio, TV shows, and so forth. Jason, thrilled to have you here. Thanks for being part of it. Hey, thanks for having me on the show and speak to your fantastic tribe. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so let's start with purpose. It seems people can't get enough about this discussion of having a sense of purpose. And you have a unique take on this one that I really think is useful. You say that people have trouble with finding a sense of purpose because they're externalizing purpose. What do you mean by that? Well, I think we get goals and purpose mixed up because I think I've tried to work on, you know, my purpose statement and I got it mixed up for a really long time. Because what you're doing in the statement and a purpose statement is to do something, right? Is typically people do it to help people to whatever it might be, right, to help entrepreneurs get to the next level, to help health professionals, to help people see or discover something. Well, the challenging thing about that is that it's something dependent outside of you. You're needing to change someone else to actually get what you want. And we all know that we've had goals in our life and we've got those goals and then they're not really what we want or they don't make us happy at that point. And it's, I call it sort of horizon thinking, right? It's always just out in the horizon. Once we get to that point, you know, things will be better. Well, most people get to that point and it's not any better. And so the challenging thing is that, you know, everything outside of yourself will eventually let you down in your life. People in your life will let you down, things in your life, jobs and everything else. And that's a problem because eventually that's going to leave you feeling sad, frustrated, drained, and really uh, emotionally in debt, if not in other ways. And then you eventually hit your rock bottom, and then you wonder why your purpose didn't serve you. 
And I think the challenging thing there is you're looking at purpose from the wrong end. You're looking at it at what you can get versus what's really best serving you. What do you have control over? And I think the place that you have control over is your own emotions. And when you can start to tap into the emotions that really drive you, that way you'll be able to figure out whether you're doing the right job. Are you with the right people? Are you spending your time wisely? Because you'll be able to feel it inside of yourself. You'll be able to know that that's the place that you're supposed to be. Jason, that's incredibly profound. I mean, we've talked about this already, and I've read some of your work about it, but even still I'm kind of astounded in hearing you say this. Let me go back to get a concrete example because I do want to talk a minute about this horizon thing. I coach a ton of people in younger levels in the organizations who are running speaking events or training programs for folks who are high potential but still early in their career. And they all get focused on, I want to get the next level. I want to get the next title. I want to get the next, the next, the next. And it's a horizon. You're right. Absolutely. And then they reach that point where there isn't an obvious next horizon and they start to wonder, am I in the wrong company or in the wrong business or in the wrong place? And it has nothing to do with being in the wrong place. It has everything to do with driving your goal based on something else out there in the future. Is that what you mean by horizon thinking? Yes. And then when you get to that place, like you get to that promotion, most people who get promotions or have that event and they reach it, they're immediately thinking about what's next. They aren't even enjoying the moment. That rarely even happens. I mean, we see that sometimes like in sports, right, where someone's celebrating a victory, but most of us aren't in that place. We get, you know, a job promotion in an office and someone gives it to you, and then all of a sudden you're thinking about, well, now when I get to that next level, it's even going to be greater. Right, And you're not even focused on where you're at. And so what happens is eventually you find out something that eventually lets you down and you realize that getting that next job title isn't really getting you what you want. It's what everyone else told you that you should want and you bought into all of it, but you never asked yourself and figured out, is this really serving me? I'm spending all this time trying to get this promotion. Is this really what I want? Is this really what's driving me? Or... Is it what everyone else is telling me to do and how the world around me is describing success and am I buying into that model? And the problem is, is that people rarely feel that success. I've got clients who sell businesses for, you know, I mean, nine figures and they sell it. And the immediate selling, they're not popping champagne bottles. They're not that excited. They're now worried about what do they do next. Yeah. But when I ask them the question about, so tell me about the time in the business that you were most excited about. No one tells the selling point. They talk about the hardest times and how they overcame them or the relationships they had. So the key is in that process, it's about the journey. But if you focus your purpose on the goal, you're not focused on the journey. You're focused on the end of the horizon. And that's something okay. that people do all the time. Okay. All right. I love this one because I certainly want to see people achieve and you know, be ambitious and reach goals and get promoted and all those things. It's just if that's the focus, it becomes fairly empty. Okay, now the second thing you said, so, you know, not, it's not about the goal. It's not about the horizon. It's not about the promotion. It has to be something else. It has to be about purpose. And you said your purpose is about what gives you emotion. It's the emotions that drive you. Did I understand you correctly? Yes, and it's the emotions 
that you put out in the world and give other people that drives you, right? And I think that's really important because, you know, one of the things, I worked in corporate America a long time, and before, you know, I figured this part out through coaches and working with people and doing thinking, you know, I loved working in marketing. But what I realized is my success went up and down And after a while, after many years, I figured out it was because my top emotions were connecting and belonging. So when I was interacting with people externally, with media people, with analysts, with, you know, customers, with other people, I was operating at my highest level. And I was actually really excelling. But when I was stuck in the office for weeks or months doing PowerPoints and writing up other documents, which got more and more as I climbed up the corporate ladder, I actually felt really bad, and my job performance went way down. And when I started to really understand that if I'm not connecting and belonging on a daily basis, like I'm not going to be performing at my highest level. So I knew at that point that the job I was in was not the right job for me because it's something that would be impossible for me to do, right? So that's why Eventually, I became an entrepreneur, and I'm way happier than I would ever be in corporate America. But that's not what people focus on. Well, and I can imagine in some companies, you'd have the option of staying in marketing, but you're just going to redefine how you do the work that you do. Hire somebody to do some of the writing. Make sure that you have more opportunities to belong and connect. This isn't just about giving up the job you have, I hope. It's it's not. I think it's redefining it. Yeah, in my position, what I had to do, there really wasn't ways around it. So I felt like, and I felt a higher calling to do something else as well. And that brought me to really be thinking about why am I doing what I'm doing? So when I hit both of those places, it really helped me figure out where I needed to be and what I wanted to do. And I was working that business as a side hustle anyway. So I knew at some point I had a crossroads to to figure out whether I went into it all the way or whether I just shelved it or what I did with it. Yeah. It's interesting, especially as we talk about people who lead from a base of expertise. There is a bit of achieving the knowledge, the skill, the capability that is a driver at the very beginning. Now, you could debate whether that's a personal driver, a purpose driver, an emotional driver, or whether it's a horizon thing. But I find way too many experts, when they've mastered the subject, now start to get bored because where's the next thing I'm going to learn? And again, that's about out there on the horizon, not necessarily understanding the emotions that drive me and motivate me. Okay. And I have a great example from today too. I just have to, I'll do this without identifying the individual, but this is a person who's asked me to coach them and basically has decided that they're unhappy in the role that they're doing because the role that they have requires them to do a whole host of stuff they didn't sign up for in the first place. And it's never going to change. It is the part of being part of this organization. And so now is on a journey to try to figure what it is they really want to do with their life. And it turns out that this person happens to love a particular thing. And once you get him talking about what he loves, the light, the enthusiasm, the passion, the excitement, all of that comes rushing right back. And so now he's got a set of criteria to evaluate whether the next job is really the right job or not. So now with that, Jason, how do you help people figure out what it is, what emotions are core to driving them and their sense of purpose? So here's an easy exercise to do. There's, there's more things you can do, but an easy way to do this is to take a look at your happiest memories. And I think if you take probably 
three happiest memories that you have of growing up at any point in time, and then a recent happiest memory. And think about that memory and just write down those four memories. And then after you've written them down, ask yourself, what emotions did I feel in those memories? Right? Was it love? Was it feeling peaceful? Was it feeling connection? Was it feeling belonging, happiness, excitement, adventure? Whatever those emotions would be and write those down. And then you've got all those emotions down, and then you ask yourself the question, which emotion is more powerful to me? Which, you know, if I have, does excitement create adventure in my life, or does adventure create excitement? Which emotion do I prefer to feel? And then what you can do is really narrow those emotions down, and you can figure out what are your top two emotions. And then what you can do is ask yourself every day, am I living those emotions, right? Am I doing those things in my life? And that will help you understand whether you're maximizing it or not. And you can ask yourself, am I surrounding with people that bring out those emotions in me? And I think that really can help you figure out where it is you're supposed to be and what it is that you're supposed to be doing and if you're really living your purpose because that's an important part of this is really feeding into your emotions because your emotions you control, right? You have control over your emotions 365 days a year, 24-7. And that means that's extremely powerful and that's always going to be in your wheelhouse. Okay. So do you ever run across people who have a hard time identifying what those core emotions are? Not really, because if you go through them, you have it down so it's pretty concrete. And then okay. every one, you have four emotions. Then you just you know, keep asking yourself what emotion I prefer as you're going through them, and you whittle it down to one. Now, sometimes people, you know, maybe it's a toss-up for them, but you've got to go with your gut. And this isn't okay. some scientific thing. I mean, so... You can't have emotions that change over time, right? I mean, yeah. it usually takes a while for that to happen, but people can. Or what will happen is the, mem- the memories that come out in your head can be different. But typically the emotions stay many times the same. And that's what I think helpful because it's a great driver for you, right? I mean, okay. if you really need, uh, you know, peacefulness in your life and you're living in a crazy, hectic job that's like super-duper stressful – then you have to ask yourself, is there something else that I should be doing with my life if I'm living in this chaos? Or what do I need to do in my job to reduce the stress level so I can have some more tranquility and peace? Or is it that I need to do yoga? Is that I need to do some meditation? Are there other things that I'm not doing in my life, right? So there's a myriad of things that someone can do at that point and ask themselves questions that are going on that can really increase the quality of their life. Because at the end of the day, you know, success is something we can model. And we can figure out in business. I mean, someone's done what you're doing, so it's really not that hard if you put it together to be successful. But being fulfilled is an art, and it's individual and unique to each person. That's the hardest thing in life to be fulfilled. And the key thing about driving your emotions is that's how you get fulfilled, is from emotions. And so it's one way. And so you need to be leveraging this in your life, otherwise you're missing out on a lot of things. And oddly enough, the happiest times in your life will be the ones where these emotions will come out. So why not recreate more of these moments on a daily and weekly basis than just leave them to chance? That's great. That's great. It sounds so simple. It sounds so straightforward. Now, is there more to it? So I have to create these opportunities where I'm going to experience the emotions that make me the happiest. I have to understand what those are. 
what else do I need to be doing to live a more meaningful or purpose-filled life? Well, I think then the key thing here is you have to always ask yourself, how can I be a service to other people? Right, because I think if you ask yourself, how can I serve other people with these emotions? And serving other people is a really big thing. It could be starting your own business, hiring people. It could be going out and volunteering. I mean, it could be mentoring. It could be coaching. It could be, I mean, there's so many things that you can do. I think that that's a key piece of it. Because when we serve other people, we teach each other a lot. And we're able to be more powerful because then we're giving our emotions and our most powerful time, and we're actually sharing it with someone else, which will actually motivate them um, because when they see that passion and excitement, every, people are like, I want some of that. I want to learn how to do what it is you're doing right now, and that's contagious in life. So I think that's really the first thing. And obviously, you learn these emotions, and you have to go on a journey, and, and you have to ask more questions, and I think it's really important to get coaching from people to join masterminds or groups like that. I think it's also important to be curious in life and continually do some learning and self-improvement. And I think you've got to continually put that stuff together, right? I think this is a step in a process that there's a lot of things that you need to do and everyone needs to do. Okay. I love this. I like It does, in some ways for me, simplify this whole notion of what it means to drive purpose. So, one is to recognize the goal is the thing that's outside of me, that's in the world, and it's a comparative relative to something else. I want to get this title. I want to get this level in the organization. I want yes. to get this promotion. I want to be the best manager. I want to be the top salesperson. It's all comparative, and comparative never leads to happy. There's always no. somebody better. I don't care how competitive you are as a person. Yeah. And the notion of, yeah, those goals, there's nothing wrong with those goals, but that doesn't give us into purpose and meaningfulness. They're not what are going to fulfill you on a day-to-day -day basis. So to look at what gives you purpose and meaning, I have to look inside and say, what emotions drive me? When I'm experiencing those emotions, they are what get me going, get me excited, get me passionate, all those things, and give me a sense of meaning. So it's a matter of finding what those emotions are and then finding a way to drag them more into your life. Changing the job, changing how you do the job, changing the stuff you yeah. do around the job, any variation on that theme. And then you your last the piece. Compass. You can think yeah. of the compass, right? And you need to color in the map, right? But I think the compass is the key part that we're lacking. Okay. I love that. Then color in the map. All right. Fabulous. Okay, and then I love this notion of being service to other people. Now, not everybody loves the notion of being service, of service. Not everybody is exactly motivated and driven by this service attitude or by affiliation for that matter. So have you encountered people like that, and what have you advised them to do? Usually I just tell them to do it, and after they do it, they feel a lot better. It's kind of like if people are listening now, do a gratitude exercise. Sit there and tell, ask yourself five things that you're grateful for in your life right now. And then after you do that, see how you feel. Do you feel better than you felt before? Do you feel happy? You know, that's something easy to do. Well, you'll feel grateful, and you'll feel that when you help someone else, right? I mean, just think of you holding the door open for someone else, and someone says thank you. It does put you in a little bit better mood. Not, not that much, but a little bit. But if you start taking that and you're of service to people in a bigger way than that, that's really small you can see some great things that can really change. And it's pretty simple to be of service, right? Being of service to someone could be just listening to a coworker, vent, 
that's actually being of service and helping someone. So there's so many things that you can do to help other people that it's pretty much limitless. Okay. And it reminds me of Adam Grant's uh, work on givers and Love takers. That. And basically the givers are the ones that end up with a prize yeah. at the end of the day. All right, we'll leave it for that. We're going to take a break. With me today is Jason Troy. Jason's best-selling book is Social Wealth, so the guide, the how-to guide, really, on building personal relationships and professional relationships. It's sold over more than 40,000 copies, and it's been top-rated in a bunch of categories. Um, we've been talking about how do you find a sense of purpose, and it's a very simple concept. Look for what emotions drive you, and more to say on that one. When we come back, though, now we got to talk about change. Because I know what drives me. How do I begin to change things so that they work better for me? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Well, glad you've joined us again. Welcome back. With me today is Jason Troy. Jason's a top executive coach, a sales leadership trainer, and an expert on human behavior, influence, and relationship. The book, Social Wealth, and I am now convinced this is a fabulously important book, top bestseller, and a featured guest on over 400 podcasts, radio shows, and TV shows. 
We've just been talking about purpose, and Jason's view on purpose is that it is driven, purpose is defined, what gives us meaning in life is defined by understanding the emotions that drive us and then doing more of the things that give us those positive emotions. Simple statement, a lot of hard work to figure that one out and live it day to day. So now what I want to do is to focus on change, because once I understand what it is, the emotions that give me a sense of purpose, like in my case, that has to do with um, exchanging ideas with people. It's affiliation for sure. Now I find I don't have enough of it and I need to begin to make some changes. Now people say all the time, I'm going to change how much I exercise, going to change the hours I work, I'm going to change the way I delegate, I'm going to change how I manage time. And most of those efforts last um, maybe a month, maybe a couple weeks, maybe two months. But they fail, ultimately. So, Jason, why? Why is it that those efforts fail? Well, because we can't see our own blind spots. And blind spots are the things that hold us back in life. And unless we identify those and take action, and usually massive action, we will continue to be hindered our entire life in our life, in business, and our relationships. And the challenging thing is, you know, our blind spots are caused by survival patterns, right, that are in a reptilian brain that have been there forever, and what they are is a way to try to keep us safe. And the challenge is, is those things that are keeping us safe are the things that are holding us back. So we need to change those survival patterns into patterns of purpose. And so the real challenge here is pattern recognition and understanding how to change patterns that are no longer serving us. And those changes usually are very small, but that is a very complex process in order to do that. And you can't do that by yourself. I mean, no one can do that. Tony Robbins, Oprah, no one, everyone is outside coaches, mentors, groups, and everything else because it's one of the most difficult things in life is to see the things inside of yourself because they're basically things that you just keep doing over and over again so you don't see it as something that's outside the norm that's actually holding you back. Okay, so give me an example. Get this. It's the blind spots that hinder us, and those are laid down in very early years or hardwired even for that matter, and we don't see them. But give me an example of a blind spot that you've worked with on a client. Well, I had a client of mine probably a year ago. I did a group exercise for sales managers, and some woman you know, raised her hand and said, you know, I want to learn how to sell better. And so I was like, okay, great. So why, you know, what's going on? What's happening with you? And she's like, well, you know, when I pick up the phone and talk to prospects or I talk to my current clients, you know, I don't feel like they hear me. They're not really listening to me. And, you know, it's a real challenge to me. And then I asked her sort of what emotions are you feeling? And the first emotion she mentioned was shame. Um, and then really frustration and sadness. And I thought to myself, that's really unusual for someone to mention shame as the first thing. There must be something deeper going on. And then we talked about limiting beliefs, and a limiting belief that came up that popped up was that she was not good enough, right? And then, you know, underneath that, the other thing, the last thing I asked her was really to talk about her childhood because, you know, one of the things in life is that we model, we learn, model, and accept from our childhood, and what really popped up for her was every time she got on the phone, um, her grandmother and mother made fun of her voice because she's in her, you know, she was in her early 30s, and she has a very high-pitched voice. So what was happening was now that she was getting on the phone in the sales process, she heard her mother and grandmother tell her that, 
she would never be successful unless she changed her voice. She was never going to really find her way and all these other things. And so that tape kept playing in her head. So every time she did this over and over again, she was just having to fight through this. And that was a huge challenge. So really what happened was a really small shift was that all she then at that point needed to do was to told her, tell all your prospects and clients the reason that you got into sales was because this was something that you had to get over. And the only way to do it was doing what you're doing right now. And, you know, immediately that would start to get rid of the limiting beliefs that she had. She'd actually start feeling more positive emotions she got on the phone. And these stories would change, which lead her to change her behavior. So that's a really simple example. It didn't take that much. And, with you know, within a couple weeks, I mean, things massively turned around. And that story was a story that was holding her back now was not holding her back anymore. I can't tell you how many times I see that, a limiting belief. And usually they come around some version of I'm not good enough. There's some quality being about me that isn't adequate or I'm going to get found out to be an imposter. I had one not too long ago where the individual involved had not gone to university. Some parts of the world, that's not an uncommon event. But, you know, you kind of come in, you start working your way of the company, you keep working your way of the company. It's done very well, very smart, very savvy, but just had never stopped to go to university and felt totally inadequate. And so it is holding this person back from achieving their real potential. They're just not speaking out of meetings because they feel my point isn't worthy. I'm not smart enough. Okay. Yes. It sounds like though a bold move here to say to your clients, the reason I got into sales was so I could get over my grandmother having made fun of my voice. So you really had her do that. Yeah, and it was great because it's really vulnerable. And I think when you're when you lead with vulnerability, other people lead with vulnerability then because then you're telling them it's safe. And every time we're vulnerable, we feel very uncomfortable, and it never seems like, well, how could that be? Well, then it makes someone else share something that's going on in their life that they're feeling really vulnerable about. And then what happens there is that person then likes you more, shares more with you, trusts you more, and then they don't ever want to get rid of that relationship because now you become much more to them than other people that are selling them things. So it's a pretty easy process, but people just don't do it. So this starts with being vulnerable, sharing a vulnerability, maybe not the greatest, the biggest, hugest one, but sharing a vulnerability, getting that's a reciprocation, and then it's a lovely virtuous cycle. Yeah, because when you think about the problem is when you start to change a behavior, you if you just try to do it, it's sort of like New Year's resolutions. The reason that they don't work is because you're trying to change patterns that are usually much deeper, and you're just doing it by brute force, meaning that I'm going to eat better and I'm going to work out more. Well, some people can just do that, right? It's kind of like managers giving advice to their employees. Sometimes you can give, tell someone something and they can do it, and sometimes they can't. And the reason they can't isn't because necessarily they don't want to or they're not motivated. It can be the patterns are so deep in them that they don't know how to do it. And although you may see it simple, they don't, right? So it's the nearest resolution. Most 70% of people fall off the wagon, you know, in six months or less. Why is that? Because you're just doing it by brute force. And if you start telling yourself at the story level, you know, I can, you know, the reason is I'm not going to the gym 
and doing all this is because I don't have time, it's too difficult to eat well. Well, these stories in your head, the challenging thing about them is they will pop up as you're trying to do this New Year's resolution. And once you reach enough resistance or negativity, a little voice in your head said, see, I told you this New Year's resolution wouldn't work well. And then what happens is you just give up and stop going to the gym and stop doing all the things that you're doing because you're caught in this pattern and circular pattern of behavior and stories that you cannot get out of because you're not going deep enough. It's sort of like the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's great, but what's underneath the water will make or break you. And that's where you get into more of your emotions, your limiting beliefs, and then your modeling from childhood. And that's where you have to start digging down into if you want to create change in your life. Because you can't understand the patterns unless you get down into those levels and really get what's going on and why it's happening and where it's really stemming from. Wow. I can see why this is impossible to do without having someone who's guiding you because, you know, most of us would run away from that in a fairly quick order. Um, it's hard work. Let's talk for a minute about this imposter syndrome. You know, how prevalent is that? Do you think that's, you see that all the time everywhere? Everywhere. I mean, I, every CEO I work with has it. I mean, no matter how successful they are, I mean, I've got CEOs of billion-dollar companies, and they like they all feel the way the same way. Right? If someone if someone figured out who I really was, they would know that I don't know what I'm doing. Right? It's you know, it's the it's the part of the limiting beliefs. Right? It usually comes from two places. You know, who do I think I am? Right? And you know, because then people and that's an imposter syndrome. Right? And then it's the other one. It's that like I can't really do this. Right? It's not really me. So it, those are difficult ones for people really to get by. You know, I'm not worthy, or who do I think I am? Well, when you encompass those things, you know, those are really deep-seated problems and challenges that people have. So, and how do you get people to get over the imposter syndrome? Well, I think that's really difficult. I think you have to understand where it's stemming from and then talk them through their fears and understanding what, what they're really scared about, like what's really going to happen, and then trying to give, you know, again, make that come to light and have them share it with other people, right? Because I think one of the powerful things is that when people start talking about those things, because imposter syndrome can easily be a shame thing, because it can easily be, you know, who am I, right? It's not guilt. It's about your action. It's about me as a person. Well, the thing about shame is silence and secrets are how it grows. So when you share it with a coach or someone you care about and with a group of people, you put light on it. And when you talk, you actually kill shame. It's the only way that you can do that. So that's really how you do it. And I think that people will struggle with it in those positions probably forever at some level, but it gets much better because they can understand when it gets, uh, you know, when they're feeling like that, they need to have an outlet to talk about it because otherwise it just gets worse. And that's how you can actually manage it in a much better way. Okay. Now, are you advocating that a CEO stands up and talks about their imposter syndrome in front of, you know, in a town hall? Or are you saying this is much more no, contained in a smaller think, place? Yeah, I don't think that, that's not really the right place, right? Now, there may be a point in time when that's a, a story that needs to be shared based on something else. But I, more importantly, I think that person needs to find a trusted person they can share it with or a trusted group of people, like another group of CEOs, right? Um, or, again, a coach, an advisor, or someone that they care about that can understand that. 
Because the challenge in all this stuff is that if you're imposter syndrome, it, you can get proximity advice, meaning that if you're sharing it with people that don't understand or can't have empathy or are in that same place, you're not really going to get the help that you need. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of people, right? It's kind of like you don't get financial advice from a plumber. No disrespect to a plumber, but you go to another person who's an expert in finances. And that's a problem for a lot of us. We go around and get proximity advice from the closest people to us instead of getting professionals or groups of people that are actually doing what it is that we're doing. Okay. That makes sense. So we go to help, go get help from people who actually know what they're talking about. I certainly can underscore that. I've seen so much bad coaching advice as I'm sure you have as well. Yes. So let's shift this for just a couple minutes before we take a break again. So we've been talking about how to change me And I do that by looking at the stories that I tell myself. I look at the blind spots. I look at the survival patterns. I look at the limiting beliefs. I look at the the voice in my head that says I can't do it, the imposter piece, the feeling unworthy, the shame, all of those. I look at that stuff. I pull it out. I do that with a professional, and it helps me unlock the next step. Is it the same when I'm trying to get someone else to change? Well, you can't get anyone else to change. I mean, they have to want to do it themselves, right? I mean, you, you can't want for other people. You have to accept them for who they are and where they're at on their journey. And you can offer help. You can offer suggestions and considerations for them to make. But ultimately, they have to be in a place where they're willing to do that. And, and most times, I mean, I'd love it if I had a client come to me that was doing exceptionally well. And they were like, I know I'm doing great and I I can even do better. People come to me when they're in pain and they're feeling enough pain where they've either hit rock bottom or they've had a series of events that brought them there, right? It could be one or it could be many, but they're in some massive level of pain or there's some massive problem that's going on in their life or everything is just out of control. And that's where people get to. So when you're looking at someone else and wanting them to change, they have to be in the right place in the right time in order for them to do it. And you don't know when that might be. That could be never. (laughs) I love that. I often say to people that when you're trying to get someone else to change, you are in the wrong. You're going to damage the relationship. You're going to escalate the conflict. Every action you're taking to try to make someone else change is a mistake. Right. I'm glad to hear you agree with me. Yeah, and I think as an executive, like if you're an executive and you have a team that is not performing as well, what then you need to do is not go in and expect them to change. It's that you need to create an environment where people can share more, be more vulnerable, which means you need to do more team building. You need to do exercises where people can share and do things and get people more passionate and excited about going to work and building more of a tribe because it says you don't have that there right now. And that's why they're not doing it because they're not completely bought in because you haven't created that environment. So that's how you get someone to change at that level. But you you do it in a much different way than we normally think about. It's a very nonlinear process rather than a linear process to just go and change. Or go in and yell or scream or threaten or variations on other things that might get some short-term compliance, but certainly don't get the kind of performance you're looking for at the long run. And minimal compliance, because 
people will yeah. only do stuff in the short term to get the pain away, and they and they won't really cure what is happening because there's no incentive for them to do it from their perspective. Okay. All right. Fabulous. So with me today is Jason Troy, top executive coach, sales leadership trainer, expert on human behavior, influence, and relationships, and as you can tell, a lot of experience working with high-profile people. The book, again, Social Wealth, which is a guide on building personal and professional relationships. The notion here is that first I start with purpose, and I define that by understanding where I have emotions that drive me. And then second, I need to make the changes in my life, and I look at my blind spots. I look at the limiting beliefs. I look at the things that I have interpreted about myself or feel shame about myself that begin to hold me back, and I need a professional to help guide on that one. And I have to do things that encourage vulnerability. The more the vulnerability, the more the openness, the more the sharing, the better the outcomes. I think I said that correctly, Jason. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about influence. How do you expand the influence that you have on people? Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Welcome back. I'm with Jason Troy today. Jason is the author of a best-selling book, Social Wealth, which is a how-to guide on personal and professional relationships. He's also an executive coach, a sales leadership trainer, and an expert on relationship building. So Jason, we talked about purpose. We talked about change, which is about changing myself. And now I want to talk about influence. And you know, when you start to say, how do I influence people to do something additional, better, my way, you start talking first about the internal work. Why is the internal so important as opposed to the external, meaning internal to me? Well, I think we have to understand that really internally is how we need to figure out how to really get inside to figure out how, what drives someone. And if you think this, about this analogy, it's that emotion is driving the car and cognition and behaviors in the back seat. And so when we try to just get someone to do something by telling them to do it, it rarely works because we're not really understanding what's motivating the other person. What are the reasons why they're resisting? What is it that they need? What's in it for them? And you have to understand what's driving the other person and their decisions from an emotional standpoint because otherwise if you don't do that and connect with them on that level – you're just not going to get them to do what it is that you want, period, whether it's personally or professionally. Okay, so can you give me an example of how this works, a practical one? Right. So, you know, when I'm going and I meet someone uh, new or if I'm talking to even some of my clients, you know, first, you know, I ask them all the time, so what's exciting that's going on in your life right now? So what are you passionate about, like, that you're working about in your job, right? So why do I ask those questions? Because I get them immediately to talk about things that are really motivating to them, that they're really emotionally engaged in. And that gets them more excited about our, our conversation and what things are going to happen. And that really makes it much more beneficial when we actually get into the things that we need to discuss for the day. Because you need to connect with people on things that they actually care about. And it's because you need to connect with them on an emotional level. Because the relationships, think about the best relationships that you have in your life right now. Everyone has them. And those people you're much more vulnerable with, you share more with them, you're much more authentic. And why? It's because you're connecting with them on an emotional level. And you care about them much more than other people. And, and what happens is that people can do this with people they just meet and acquaintances in a way that's still authentic, but it connects with the other people. If you can get them to talk about the things that they care and love the most about in their life, whether that's either personally or professionally, and it can be used for either setting. Okay. All right. So the, you know, the sort of theme from this whole day is that I, the emotions, the power of the emotions. So in order to have greater influence, I have got to get connected to what it is that's driving someone else at an emotional level, not at a cognitive behavioral level. And I do that by getting people to talk about what they're most excited about, what they're passionate about, what they really believe in, what they care about. And it's in that that I bring out their core emotion and drivers and also allow a bit of vulnerability in that. And that's when I build the deepest relationships. Yes. All right, now, you talk about deep relationships having three qualities, rapport, likability, and trust. How do we get why those three, and how do we get more of each of them? 
Well, because when you do rapport, likability, and trust, what you do is you create enough intrigue, and you create enough intrigue for someone to prioritize you. And for them to put you in your, their inner circle of people, even if you're just an acquaintance or someone they barely know. And when it comes to rapport, there are really two elements. One is nonverbal, and you know, I'm not going to get into that, but Amy Cuddy has a great book. She's a professor at Harvard on body language. You know, Tony Robbins talks about NLP. But on the verbal side of things, it's the questions to ask people are two main ones to really emotionally connect with them. It's that what's exciting that's going on in your life right now? Or two, you can ask them, so what are you passionate about? What projects are you working on that you're excited about or passionate about? Right? And I ask this to people that I have met within you know, 30 seconds because then they're talking about stuff that they actually want to. They actually have to be present in a conversation with you. And then they're talking about the things that they love. And it's easy to find common ground, which is the key to rapport. If people are talking about the things that they love and you connect with them, it's extremely powerful. And when it comes to likability, really the number one way through all the research is listening. And we do such a poor job of listening because whenever we're talking to someone, we're thinking about what do we have to do the next day or where are we going to go for dinner or what else is going on in our life, and we're not actually focused and listening to the other person. And because nonverbal communication is 90-some percent of communication, when you're not present and you're not listening, you're telling someone else that what they have to say or do is not important. And then you're telling them you don't care. And when people know you don't care, they're going to tune you out as well. So the key thing is just to listen to people, be present, and be an active listener, which is repeat back a little bit of what they're saying here and there so they know that you're actively you know, engaged in the conversation. And the third part of it is trust. And there are several elements of trust, but the most important one to look at is caring. When people know that you care about them, they will do about anything for you. And really, they'll overlook almost anything. They'll look over, you know, competency, reliability, or sincerity, which is the other parts of trust. So how do you do that? You need to give to people, and you need to lead by giving. Because the people that lead with giving are people in that inner circle. So what you can do is you can ask someone, once they've shared with you what their passions are, what they're excited about in their life right now, is ask them, you know, do you need any help there? Is there something that I can help you with? And you could offer a suggestion, a contact, a book, a magazine article. I don't care what it is. Or you could follow up with them. Or perhaps you can introduce them to someone where you're at right now that they can meet, which is helpful. Or percent, even introduce them to a stranger, right? So there are many ways that you can give to people. And it doesn't matter how big or how small. But when you lead with giving, what you're doing is you're acting like people in their inner circle because that's the only people that lead with giving without asking for something in, ret- out in return. Fabulous. I love that. So three ways to build relationship, rapport, likability, and trust. Jason, it's been fabulous to have you as a guest today. The book, again, for my listeners are Social Wealth, um, and it's Jason Troy, T-R-E-U-Y. Jason, I think the thing that's a really highlight for me is the thinking about the purpose as the things that drive my emotions. I understand what drives my emotions, then I can understand what it is that gets my purpose. And understanding the limiting beliefs as a way of unlocking change. Fabulous. Thanks for being a guest. Thanks for having me on. All right. Now, next week, we're going to be with Lynn Curry, and the focus is going to be defeating the workplace bully. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone, 
Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. We'll be right back. 